Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome to episode number 45 of Talking Mopars and another installment of High Performance Heritage. This time around, we're going to be talking about the Ram Chargers. So without further ado, if you are a Mopar enthusiast, then you are in the right place. Don't go anywhere. You're tuned into the best Mopar enthusiast-driven podcast on planet Earth, and I am your host, Chris Albrecht, better known as the Mopar Hunter, and this is Talking Mopars High Performance Heritage. You're listening to Talking Mopars with the Mopar Hunter, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Welcome back, my friends, to another episode of Talking Mopars. I hope you're as excited as I am about this episode because we're talking about the Ram Chargers. We're going back to the early days of Mopar drag racing and we're going to talk some quarter mile stuff today. We're going to talk about a team that was built from within Chrysler. And, you know, if you don't know who the Ram Chargers are, maybe you're sitting there like Ram Charger. I thought, isn't that an, a two door SUV by Dodge, uh, like the Trail Duster from Plymouth? And I would say, yes, you're right. But the Ram Chargers was a drag racing team. And we're going to get all into it today. I've heard you guys say that you want more Mopar history, and we're going to get to it, I promise. We're going to cover everything, and I've said this before, but apparently my words have fallen upon deaf ears. So I just want to reiterate that we're going to be talking about Mopars from all generations, all decades, all eras. We're going to be talking about it all. It's just going to take some time to get through it all. The world of Mopar, the history, is so big and so vast you could probably talk about it for the rest of your life if you took every little, you know, every car, every moment of Mopar history and you dissected it, you could be talking forever. So the way I started this show was basically I just started talking about things I wanted to talk about and the show's evolved a little bit over time, but I definitely like the direction it's going and I'm really excited about it. So that's what we're working on here, but enough of me blabbing. Let's get this show on the road. This week's project car of the week is one of my favorite cars that I've come across recently, and it was posted on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page on Tuesday, August 11th at 12 p.m. It pretty much checks all of the boxes for what I think is great in a project car, so let's not beat around the bush, let's read the ad. 1968 Dodge Coronet Super B, $12,500. Omaha, Nebraska. West Virginia car, original numbers matching 383 four-speed. Tag still intact on transmission, rear end, and carburetor. Includes fender tag and build sheet, clean Nebraska title. Needs complete restoration, does not run, but motor spins free. Folks, what we have right here is the quintessential ratty Mopar muscle car, a 1968 Super B. The first year for Dodge's budget street brawler aimed at the youth enthusiast market during the rise of the muscle car era, and the answer to Plymouth's Roadrunner. Folks, I love Super Bs, and I really want to have one in my collection someday. I've actually thought about not even getting a new Challenger and just finding an old Super B 
that I could build a modernized A12 with a modern Hemi and a six-pack EFI setup just because the idea of that car sounds really cool to me. But, of course, this is a 1968, so while it wouldn't necessarily make a good A12 tribute car, it would still make one hell of a cool ratty Mopar with a modern power plant, but I digress. This B would be an awesome project car for someone, or, heck, you know, get it running and drive the wheels off of it. This car has perfect sunburn patina, and I'm not sure why, but faded bumblebee stripes look awesome on these old ratty bees, and they really kick up the cool factor on these ratty Mopars for me, especially with the Super Bs, because in my opinion, it has one of the greatest graphic packages of all time. You know, on the rear tail end of it, it's got the, the Bumblebee stripe, and it's got the circle that says Super B, and it's got the Super B in it. I just think it's really cool. But this car is numbers matching, which is amazing. And even more amazing is that this thing still has the tags on the trans rear end and carb. Not to mention that it even has the fender tag still attached. And, you know, the picture of this thing shows under the seat is an amazingly well-preserved build sheet, which is really, really cool. I mean, what's not to like about this thing? It even has a clean title, for God's sakes. The engine isn't stuck, which is good, but it doesn't run, which means it doesn't drive. But you know what I like about that? The low price of $12,000, you know, $12,500 if we're being specific. But let's be real. As long as the engine ain't stuck, you know as well as I do that the odds of getting this old Mopar fired up are definitely in our favor. And hey, did I mention this car is a four-speed? Man, I'm about to liquidate all of my Mopars and head out to Nebraska and get this thing if it isn't already sold by the time this episode airs. You know what I mean? But of course I'm kidding, but... Nobody wants to buy my junk when there's cool cars out there like this that still need to be saved. But this car, you know, it does need work all over the place. The interior, the exterior, under the hood, the suspension. And I'm sure it's all pretty extensive work, but the car is complete. And, you know, that alone makes it a great project, in my opinion, because it's hard enough to find a numbers matching project car, let alone a Project Super V that has a lot of the necessary things for documentation, for nearly $10,000. You know what I mean? This thing's 12.5. That's not bad. That's not a far stretch from 10. You know, I've seen Project Super Bs and Coronet RTs and Chargers, you know, closer to 20,000 or even in some cases over 20,000, well over 20,000. So for 12,500, I'm not complaining, but you know, of course I'd like to get it for 10 grand, but you know, me, I'm a low baller. But I think you'd be really hard pressed to find something equivalent in the market right now for around the same price for a car that's complete like this. But if there are any out there that you know of, let me know because I'd love to check them out and feature them right here on Project Car of the Week. You know, folks, $12,500, you know, in my opinion, this is a great buy for a really cool car. This is one of those instances where, once again, I'm a day late and about $12,499 short because I would love to have this car. And I would absolutely pay every single penny the seller wants for this thing without thinking twice. And... You may be out there thinking, you know, Chris, you're crazy, but hey, I'm well aware of just how crazy I am. Any penny less than the asking price for this B is just, you know, steal in my book. But in all seriousness, I hope someone out there listening to this, you know, jumps on the Mopar Hunter Facebook page, finds the car and makes a deal on it to save it. So that's Project Car of the Week. No Mopar left behind. This week's high-performance part belongs to a tin-grill Dodge truck seen in one of my favorite childhood movies, Over the Top with Sylvester Stallone. 
you're probably laughing, but I've always been a Sly fan, and believe it or not, I literally have a framed over-the-top movie poster no more than six feet from where I'm sitting recording this show right now. So, enough about me being a dork. Over-the-top is a fun 80s flick in typical Stallone fashion where the underdog comes out on top, only this time it happens on an arm wrestling table and not in a boxing ring. Sly plays an independent truck driver and side-hustling arm wrestler named Lincoln Hawk, who tries to rebuild the relationship with his 12-year-old son who he abandoned years earlier while trucking over the road because his wife has fallen ill. Totally 80s, right? But this isn't a movie review podcast, so I'm going to spare you all the little details and sum up the appearance of the Tin Girl. Around, I don't know, 35-40 minutes into the movie, two thugs attempt to kidnap Lincoln Hawk's son while he is on the phone with his ill wife telling her about the good bonding time that he and his son are having. These thugs kidnap the kid and try to make their getaway in a white 1977 Dodge D100 short bed pickup truck. Unfortunately, the old tin girl cannot outrun Sly's old beater auto car tractor and gets smashed. What a waste of a clean tin girl, if you ask me, but who would have thought that 33 years later, tin girl enthusiasts like myself would see the truck get smashed by Sly and cringe? Not too many people, probably, but. That's the short story of the 1977 Tin Grill Dodge truck from Over the Top. In past episodes, this segment has featured some pretty cool and unforgettable Mopars, but I thought this time around we'd showcase a Mopar that may have been overlooked in the past and, you know, may be considered a little insignificant by most. But that, ladies and gentlemen, was High Performance Parts, the 1977 Tin Grill Dodge truck from Over the Top. This week's listener story is an old one that somehow got lost in the shuffle, and it comes to us from one of my work friends, Adam Hare. This is Adam's story. Growing up, my dad always had some sort of classic car in the garage, but mostly Chevys, 355 Chevy trucks, and a 50s Cadillac. But my favorite car ever was a 1947 Plymouth Coupe Deluxe, brought home with a tow rope, no engine, and the brakes hardly worked. This was our project car that was supposed to be my first car, but life happens, another story. Anyways, we had a Chevy 327 with tri-power sitting on an engine stand in the garage. I'm sure it's a sacrilege to Mopar, but the car screamed. New paint, custom interior, it was a beautiful car. Fully restored, sitting in our garage. My mother brought groceries inside and must have bumped into my dirt bike because when I got home from school, my bike was leaning into the driver's side door with a fresh scratch and dent. Adam in Everett, Washington. Hey, Adam, thanks for sending in your story. You know, I've said this before. I'm a car enthusiast first, but I am extremely passionate about Mopars. That being said, I love all cars. And, you know, I think it's really cool that you guys had so many Chevy trucks because they're beautiful. They're beautiful trucks. You know, I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to pretend like I don't like Chevys. You know, they're cool. And a 50s Cadillac, those cars are pretty cool, too. But when it comes to the earlier Mopars, you know, the 40s and 50s cars, I think they're really cool and they make great hot rods. You know, I don't see them enough, which is a little bit disappointing. When I go to hot rod shows, you know, you see a ton of Fords, ton of Chevys, but the amount of Mopars that you see, the old ones, there aren't enough of them. And I wish I could see more. Uh, The fact that you had a Chevy in the Mopar, as far as being sacrilege, sure, You know, I'm not really one of those guys that will really knock somebody too hard. I joke about LS swaps and whatnot, but the fact of the matter is, cool is cool. I'm not going to deny something that is really nice, you know, from being cool just because, oh, it's a Plymouth with a Chevy engine in it. You know, would I prefer it to have an old school Hemi? Yes, absolutely. That car would have been way cooler with a Hemi in it. 
but you know, I'm not going to knock you. I think it's cool that it had tri-power. That's sweet. You know, it's a shame that you don't have the car now. I'd love to see it, but you did share some pictures of the car and I will try to dig those up through the email and share those on social media. But thanks Adam for sending in your story. Really cool car. And Adam is one of those guys who is a car guy. He's one of the guys at work that I enjoy talking to because, you know, he's a car guy. Car guys give each other crap back and forth, you know, Chevy guys, Ford guys, and Mopar guys. But at the end of the day, when you're a car guy, it's always nice to chat cars with another person. But you, you all know me. I love to talk Mopars. So back to talking Mopars. Thanks, Adam, for sending in your story, buddy. I appreciate it. But before we move on to the segment all about the Ram Chargers, I just wanted to say that I am still trying to get organized with all these stories. So bear with me. If your story hasn't been shared, I will get to it. So with that being said, let's talk about the Ram Chargers. In the fall of 1958, a group of around 20 to 25 like-minded Chrysler high-performance speed junkies formed a drag racing team that would lead Dodge into the forefront of superstock and pro-stock drag racing in the 1960s, and it all started in the lunchroom with guys talking cars. The group consisted of entry-level Chrysler engineers who were part of the Chrysler Engineering Institute, and these guys had an interest in hot-rodding and high-performance. Many of these guys were drag racers that were modifying their cars well enough to see some positive results at the track on the weekends. They all had their own race car projects in the beginning and were bringing back the knowledge gained at the drag strip back to Chrysler. That special interest in drag racing would lead them to join forces and create the Ram Chargers. While they all had their own vehicles, they would race for fun. They knew that to really make an impact on the world of drag racing, they would have to do it together. The goal was to pull everyone's knowledge and resources together to build a Mopar drag car that could gap the other manufacturer's cars on the drag strip. Every member of the Ram Chargers had their own strengths, and these would be utilized strategically to build their first car with the combined effort of all the members. The first car that the group collectively built was a 1949 business coupe powered by a 354 cubic inch Hemi out of a pickup truck, and officially owned by the man credited with getting the Ram Chargers together in the first place, Herman Moser. The Plymouth was reconditioned and painted white and was dubbed the High and Mighty, but a fun fact is that the first few outings at the track, the Plymouth was actually known as the Ramrod before it ever became the High and Mighty. It was cheap and light, which are great attributes for a purpose-built drag car. The budget for their first build was incredibly low considering the amount of money that drag racing competitively can cost today. Each member threw their contribution into the pot, which was just over $30. The rest of the money to be added to their initial budget was sourced from warranty engine work that they were doing on Dodge trucks. They also did have a sponsor, which was Mason's Plymouth Valiant of Ferndale, so that also helped. The 354 Hemi and the High and Mighty utilized 392 cylinder heads, and since this was before the torque flight was introduced, it was backed by a 3-speed manual transmission. Later, the 354 would be replaced by a 392 cubic inch big block with the same heads. It had a custom camshaft designed by Neil Newman and sported a high ram intake with dual quads that was fabricated by the same guy who fabricated the exhaust, Pete McNichols. The intake was the first of its kind and would later be known as ram induction. At varying ranges in RPMs, the design of the intake created a large amount of forced air, much like forced induction. It was effective enough that it would end up being used later on by other race teams. Initially, before it was even painted and sponsored, the Plymouth underwent weight loss surgery and had its frame shortened as well as the rear fenders removed, although they would be modified and reinstalled later. A 4-inch chop and the body was placed forward on the frame which put half of the tilted engine through the firewall. You may be asking why was the engine tilted? And the answer is to help put as much weight to the rear of the vehicle as possible to aid in straight launches. 
The rear wheels and tires were relocated inward and the suspension was also customized with a coil suspension from a Buick in the front and a custom multi-link setup in the rear, which was engineered by Dick Burke. The High and Mighty competed in the C-Altered Racing class and even managed to set a speed record for its class the first time it ran at the 1959 NHRA Nationals in Detroit, Michigan. It laid down a 1441 at 103 miles per hour. Not bad for a race car built on a budget. The two years that the High and Mighty was competing in drag racing resulted in some very impressive accomplishments, proving that the Ram Chargers had developed a great team whose efforts were extremely successful. They even managed to lock down two NHRA records at the time, which were top quarter mile speed and top elapsed time, which were 12.8 seconds at 109.75 miles per hour and 12.62 seconds at 115 miles per hour, respectively. Its best numbers, however, were 11.8 seconds in the quarter and 117 miles per hour. 1960 would be the last racing season for the car, but the Ram Chargers sure didn't retire it without leaving its mark in the Mopar history books. The team was largely successful due to the research and development done by the crafty young engineers. One member in particular named George Wallace, who from 1955 to 1968 worked as an engineer at Chrysler Engineering's Performance Lab, became highly proficient at calculating what the car would be capable of at the track. He was so good that when the car ran at the aforementioned NHRA Nationals, the car performed pretty much exactly as he predicted it to. George was able to accomplish this high level of accuracy by analyzing the weight of the car, quarter mile trap speed, and horsepower of the car. The Ram Chargers were an influential force in getting Chrysler involved in drag racing and in 1963 even managed to win Super Stock and Stock Eliminator titles. That was a first for Chrysler. Through the 1960s, the Ram Chargers raced in not only the stock classes, but also factory, experimental, and even funny cars. Their early success at the track led to Dodge getting heavily involved in drag racing in the early 1960s. Unfortunately, Plymouth was not quite as interested during that period. 1961 would be the year that Dodge got seriously involved in drag racing and finally supported the Ram Chargers. By 1963, the Ram Chargers were campaigning two red and white factory-backed cars, dubbed the Candy Maddox which were piloted by Herman Moser and Jim Thornton, who were both champion drivers. Why the name Candy Maddox? Because of the paint and the automatic transmissions the two cars had. At this point in the story is where I should dive deep into the introduction of the Max Wedge engines in 1962, because I believe that that was the first true year of Mopar muscle cars, but I'm actually going to be doing another installment of High Performance Heritage that focuses on the Max Wedge era, so stay tuned. And don't worry, you didn't think I was going to skip over the Max Wedge, did you? Truth be told, there is a lot that I don't know about the early era of Mopars, and I'm really excited to get into it. So I'll give you this little bit of information, this little nugget of information to keep you at bay until then. The Ram Chargers were actually responsible for the development of Chrysler's infamous cross-ram intakes. Anyways, back to the story of the Ram Chargers. 1962 would be the year that factory Mopars really started to mean serious business with the introduction of the Max Wedge. These Max Wedge engines were the 413 and 426, which were options for the new B-Body Mopars, but like I said earlier, we're going to dive deep into the Max Wedge era in the next installment of High Performance Heritage. Moving on, Tom Hoover, known in the world of Mopar as the father of the Hemi, has indicated that at first, there were many corporate hoops to jump through to get streetcars built based on the drag racing experience gained by the young engineers. Things were really getting hot at Chrysler in 1963, and the era of the iconic Mopar muscle cars that we all know and love was just around the corner. Now, that statement could be argued considering the history of high-performance vehicles offered pre-1963, 
but Chrysler hadn't really bought into the drag racing scene until the 1960s. So it's my opinion that the early 60s is when Chrysler really started to get serious about high-performance cars on the street and on the track. In 1964, the Ram Chargers started playing with the almighty elephant, the 426 cubic inch race Hemi. The rest, as they say, is history. Throughout the remainder of the 60s, the Ram Chargers ran many different cars and fuels, from super stocks to funny cars and from gasoline to nitromethane, until 1967 when the Ram Chargers finally started to slow down. When it was all said and done by 1974, the Ram Chargers were considered one of the greatest drag racing teams in history, and even claimed the most NHRA Superstock titles during the golden era of drag racing when factory cars were competing at the highest level of the sport. It is interesting to think that while the Ram Chargers did have Dodge's support through the years, Chrysler never really had a race engineering program. What they did have was a group of highly dedicated, high-performance drag racing enthusiasts who called themselves the Ram Chargers. What a fun story. Admittedly, there is a lot of the story that I left out, but I really think you should find a copy of the book, We Were the Ram Chargers by David Rockwell, who was a member of the Ram Chargers. I'm actually looking to snag a copy of that book myself. The book is the history of the Ram Chargers as told by those who were there and lived through the experience. For the book, David interviewed over 40 of the Ram Chargers. I know in the story that I mentioned, there was 20 to 25 in the beginning. Well, over the history of the Ram Chargers, there was well over 40 members. So yeah, there were that many. The story I shared with you guys today was merely a lightweight version of the beginning of the story. So if you want to get the full meal deal, go pick up a copy of that book. But going back to the first car campaigned by the Ram Chargers, I thought it was pretty funny that the tack in the car had the words shift, damn it, handwritten along with the skull and crossbones at 5,500 RPMs. How awesome is that? I thought that was really cool and probably, you know, as lame as it sounds, that's one of my favorite things about the car. But folks, I said it before and I'll say it again. I am no Mopar expert. There is just so much I don't know about Mopars. And the more I dive into the history, the more enthusiastic about Mopars I become. I recently did an interview on a very, very popular podcast where I was asked about the history of the 440. And it caught me super off guard. I was not ready for the question. And, you know, I had to be honest. I never really gave much thought about the history of the 440 until that moment on the podcast where I was like, oh, I'm caught off guard right now. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I realized at that exact moment that I really need to start diving into the history of some of the engines throughout Mopar history to gain more knowledge about them. So let it be known, we are going to be getting into the history of engines too, not just the Hemi, because I did a whole series on that. We're going to get into the other engines. I don't want to leave any Mopar stone left unturned. So there's so much to learn, and I'm excited to get into it. I hope you are too. The interview I did on the podcast is going to be released soon, and I'm excited to share that with you. But I'm going to be honest, you know, it's a hell of a lot different being on this side of the mic than it is on the other side of the mic. I was nervous and I brain farted a few times, you know, when I was asked uh, the question about the history of the 440 because there's, I mean, I never really gave it much thought. So I really didn't have an answer and I'm not the type of guy to BS anybody. You know what I mean? I've never claimed to be a Mopar expert. I'm a student of Mopar history. And, 
you know, everything that I talk about on this podcast, I've done some research on to make sure that I'm not feeding you false information. So don't ever worry about that. Um, hopefully we can learn something together on this show. But more on that in the next couple weeks. I'm just extremely grateful I was invited on as a guest at that show. I just wish I had been a little bit more prepared. That's my fault. I take full responsibility. And I'm sure I'm going to get plenty of hate mail for that. <laughs> you know, Mopar guy has a podcast about Mopars and he doesn't know the history of the 440. He's a sham. But, you know, hey, I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know enough. I don't know enough about the history to speak on it like I'm an expert. So I refuse to do that. But I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to get all the history that I can dig up on the 440 and I'm going to share that with you and we can share an educational podcast together. <laughs> all right. But before we actually close out this show, I did want to remind you guys about my friends over at hemipages.com, they are still going full steam ahead on the Build Mopar project, which is going to be a 1968 Dodge Dart Superstock tribute car with a modern Hemi in it. And so far, we've picked the car, we've picked the color, which is going to be burgundy. And now we're going to choose the power adder. So we're all going to vote and we're going to see which power adder comes out on top. There are seven choices, and here are the seven choices naturally aspirated it's going to be a 448 cubic inch errington stroker hemi so that's one option you have a single turbo option there's a pro charger option a ken bell supercharger option a dry nitrous option a whipple supercharger option and then a compressed atmosphere option and the compressed atmosphere thing is really interesting i don't know anything about that but uh, I want to do some research on that myself. But I chose one and, you know, I really wanted to see what a naturally aspirated Hemi Stroker could do in a Dodge Dart setup, pretty much like the old Superstock cars. But, you know, the more and more I thought about it, I really wanted to see what a Pro Charger could do on a new Hemi. So that's what I went with. I went with the Pro Charger. What are you going to choose? You have a choice right now. Go to buildmopar.com and cast your vote and watch this car get built and be a part of the build. Vote on every single round of voting and let's see what we can all come up with as a community. Let's see how this dart gets built. Any direction this car goes, it's going to be completely badass. So, you know, get your votes in and just join in on the fun. So shout out to my friends over at hemipages.com, buildmopar.com and readychassis.shop. Also, a special shout out to my friend Blake from DIYHemi.com. I just want to reiterate something that I've said before in the past. I just want to thank you guys for listening to the show because without you, I don't have a show. I have a mental disorder and I'm talking to myself. So thanks, guys. I really appreciate it and keep following along. I invite you to join me in watching this podcast grow and hopefully become something really, really cool. But let's shift gears for a minute before we shut this baby down and let's talk about the Ram TRX. Have you guys seen this truck? Oh my God. The most powerful production street legal half ton pickup truck ever produced. 702 horsepower, 650 pound feet of torque, zero to 60 in four and a half seconds. It's got a supercharged 6.2 Hemi V8 and you know, best in class horsepower and torque. It's just, you don't, I mean, sorry, Ford, your Raptor 
is null and void. <laughs> you know what I mean? This thing is just, it's crazy. I, you know, if you go and watch the videos that are out on this thing, it's just a monster. And I know a lot of you out there have been pining for a sport truck from Dodge. You know, a lot of us wanted to see a two-wheel drive reiteration of the SRT10 with a Hellcat engine this time. So, you know, just call it the Hellcat truck or something. I don't know. The Hellhound. Something cool. But, you know, we wanted something fast in a truck. And Ram said, you know what? We're not going to give you a two-wheel drive truck. There's some folks out there with four-letter word name that think they have a really badass truck, but they don't. And, you know, once again, Mopar comes through and we get the TRX. Long rumored, we've seen the concept before. The concept looked cool, but when they released pictures of the real TRX, oh my God, I fell in love immediately. This thing looks mean. It is everything I wanted it to be because when I heard they were coming out with the TRX and what they were planning on doing with it, I thought, you know, the Raptor... You know, like I've said, I'm a car enthusiast. You know, I can appreciate something nice. And, you know, the Raptor, it's a nice truck, okay? Don't tell anybody I said that. But it's a nice truck. But I knew that Ram, it would only be a matter of time before Ram said, okay, cool, hold my beer, check this out. And that's exactly what they did. This thing, I mean, look at the shots of this thing. It is just a beautiful truck. The inside is awesome. It's got the massive 12-inch touchscreen with the, you know, performance pages in a truck. What, what are we doing here? This is insane. You know what I mean? It's an off-road truck. You know, this ain't a mall crawler. All right. This thing has nearly a foot of ground clearance. Okay. Over a foot of suspension travel in the front and 14 inches of rear suspension travel. This thing is insane. It's got Bilstein Blackhawk E2 shocks. And, you know, even the steering wheel in this thing is cool. You know, it's got paddle shifters, paddle shifters in a truck. What are we doing here? This is insane. It's got the Alcantara suede accents. It's just, oh God, it's amazing. You know, you can switch drive modes. So it's got dynamic drive modes. So you can go on or off road with the different modes and, you know, they're performance tuned. How cool is that? You got sport mode, snow mode, custom mode, mud sand mode, rock mode. You know, this thing is just, you know, come on, 702 horsepower, okay? And they're actually going to release a TRX launch edition, which is just going to be 702 vehicles as a, you know, tribute to the amount of horsepower this thing has. And it will be, according to Ram, the most exclusive version of the ultimate performance truck. It's just, it's awesome. The thing is cool. I am really excited to see what this truck looks like in person. It's going to be expensive. <laughs> That's going to be a problem. But hey, you know, a 702 horsepower truck on 35s. Okay, this thing. I mean, I could sit here all night and just talk about how cool the truck is. But go look for yourself. Go to ramtrucks.com and look up the TRX. You will not be disappointed. And if you are... I don't ever want you listening to this podcast again. <laughs> Just kidding, folks. Go check it out. It's an awesome truck. And I think they really hit the nail on the head on this one. And Ford better step their game up. All right. 
There you have it, folks. Another episode of Talking Mopars is in the books. For more information about this podcast or to listen and subscribe to the show, please visit TalkingMopars.com. And don't forget, you can send me your stories, questions, comments, complaints, suggestions, and everything else on your Mopar addicted mind to Chris at TalkingMopars.com or leave me a voice message on my voice mailbox at 209-28-MOPAR to hear yourself on the show. And I have merch now. You can go get t-shirts and stuff in my merch shop. Just go to TalkingMopars.com and follow the link to the store. You can get cool things like t-shirts, hoodies. You know, I got a sticker on there, some coffee mugs for all you caffeine addicts and more. So if you want to help support the show and get some cool stuff at the same time, jump on over to TalkingMopars.com. All right, that's it, my friends. Until we talk again, I am your host, Chris Albrecht, and that was Talking Mopar's High Performance Heritage. Thank you for listening to Talking Mopar's, your direct connection to all things Mopar. Until next time, remember, no Mopar left behind. say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.